0: Welcome to a special Encore episode of the Food Professor Podcast. On this episode of the pod, we present an interview worth a second or perhaps your first listen. Let's hear as Sylvain introduces the topic and our guests for one of our favorite and most essential discussions from late spring 2023.
1: All right. For the first time on our podcast, we actually have three uh, special guests, not <laughs> one. And so uh, we're trying things out, uh, but we—I uh, think it's worth it because we are tackling a very important issue: aquaculture. It's a topic we actually haven't discussed on our podcast over the last three years. So it was—it was—it uh, was, it was time for us to look into. The wonderful of Aquaculture, and uh, I couldn't think of, of better guests uh, than the three that we have joining us today. Uh, so we have Tim Kennedy, uh, who's joining us from Ottawa today. We also have uh, Isaiah Robinson joining us from BC. Uh, and uh, Stephanie Colombo, uh, who's a colleague of mine at Dalhousie, is reaching us from Tro, Nova Scotia, and uh, and I am currently in Banff, Alberta. So we're all hmm. spread apart, and Michael is in Toronto. So there you go. That's the that's the power of uh, of technology. So to start things off, perhaps you could briefly tell us uh, more about who you are and uh, and what you do for a living.
2: Hi, good, good. Hello, it's a pleasure to meet you. My name is Isaiah Robinson. I am the uh, elected counselor for the Hay Hayes Nation, and I'm also the general manager of the Kittisu Development Corporation. So I oversee businesses for my for my community, including aquaculture, forestry, and, and a couple other uh, world-renowned lodge too. So it's, it's a quite a variety of stuff I oversee.
3: Hi, Sylvain. So thanks for having us. Uh, really appreciate it. I'm Tim Kennedy, and uh, I'm the president of the Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance, based in Ottawa, as as you said, and uh, so the Alliance is is a collection of uh, both producer companies in the aquaculture sector, but also uh, suppliers, suppliers, academic, uh, and other interests. So we really do represent the sector to to the federal government.
4: Hi, everybody. I'm Stephanie Colombo. I'm an associate professor at Dalhousie University and Canada Research Chair in Aquaculture Nutrition. And my research and lab focuses on innovative solutions and in nutrition for sustainable aquaculture production.
0: Uh, Stephanie, let's start with you. Uh, let's, let's lay some groundwork down here. What is agriculture and uh, why should our listeners uh, be paying attention to agriculture and aquaculture and issues?
4: So aquaculture is a really basic term that envelops anything that is farmed in the water. And that can range from fish to shellfish to aquatic plants like seaweeds. And why should people care about aquaculture? Well, first first of all, 3 billion people around the world eat seafood as their main source of protein every day. And our consumption of seafood has increased by over double in the past 30 years. Yet our harvest from wild fisheries hasn't really changed much because It can't support any more harvest. Hmm. Right now, about a third of our global fisheries are what's considered overexploited, meaning we don't have a sustainable harvest for those anymore. Compare this to 1990, where over 90% of our fisheries were still considered healthy and sustainable. So over this 30-year time period, aquaculture has grown by over 500%. And right now, it supplies just over fifty percent of our total seafood, and it's projected in the next few years by twenty thirty that agriculture will actually supply over sixty percent of our seafood. So basically, all of this data comes from the United Nations, the Food and Agriculture Organization, and they compile this data every year. And so, what we know is that aquaculture is meeting the demand for seafood. Supporting our uh, protein needs around the world, so that we can continue enjoying both wild-caught harvest seafood from sustainable fisheries and also meeting our our food security needs.
0: Uh, Stephanie, quick follow-up question: How big an industry is it in Canada? What is uh, give me a, a size of the of the uh, the economy in Canada?
4: It's a billion dollars of industry, and probably Tim can recap those numbers a little bit better than ours um and there that's a support of different aquaculture industries Mo, the main one being salmon of course um followed by uh trout other fin fish as well as uh shellfish such as mussels and uh farmed oysters
1: isaiah uh what brought your people to aquaculture? And talk talk about its role in your community and your local economy. Well it it really comes down to uh,
2: you know the collapse of, of the commercial industry. So in nineteen sixty nine we faced that as, as a people, uh, you know, a coastal people of, of BC. Uh, and of course that's the mismanagement of the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. And um, you know, we we dealt with that for probably 20 years of just nothing no employment uh, you know the average employment rate we had is 5% and so you know by the mid 80s wow. we we really looked at you know how can we move forward because we were dealing with so many you know issues between alcoholism and and abuse and um drug and alcohol like it was just a I live in a quite a remote community so those things are very impactful on on of course on a smaller scale and so the leadership at the time just sat down and said how how can we move forward in a good way? We we need one bread, when for every household. And so how do we how do we get there? And so, you know, a colleague of mine who's who's still working to today, has worked for us for 36 years, came together and put together a, a farming plan. And so we operated our own um our own salmon farm before we ever were ever part of an industry, period, or worked or had a partnership with the industry. So we raised that as a pilot project and it, it worked for a couple of years and um and unfortunately the scale we had and the quantity was just not sustainable and so we've signed an agreement and so you know we we've we've built relationships we've worked with uh, our industry partners after that success of our own operations partnered up and now have one of the longest standing partnerships in aquaculture period with an indigenous community and and um you know have really um grown close with this industry as it's it's now our people have multi-generations have participated in this and it's such a large part of our community and now we have a 99 percent employment rate we've we've come from five to now 99 and so you know our our leadership have have set the bar and have have well over exceeded in regards to what our expectations were
1: so it brought it brought hope and and prosperity 100 percent
2: that's great
0: and, ind- and 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 uh, and independence and independence in the economy, uh, Tim. There's um, you know one of the things that brings us here today. I want to learn more about agriculture and and uh, the role of it in uh, for Isaiah and, and his people on the West Coast. But there seems to be some controversy. Uh, you know, as an as an, an organization, uh, you're sending letters to the Prime Minister, which I know uh, in the advocacy world is kind of <laughs> pushing. Pushing the nuclear button—it's uh, kind of one of those last resort things. What's what's going on? What's uh, what's the element that brings us here together to chat about the controversy about what's happening?
3: Yeah, so it's 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 definitely a very challenging time for us in the aquaculture sector. I, w- what's happening is that in British Columbia, um, there is controversy around uh, salmon farming in British Columbia. So um, Isaiah was talking about how important it is to his community, but there, there's a very large activist base in British Columbia who are very influential, who have been pushing hard against uh, salmon farming and claiming that, that salmon farming is really damaging uh, wild salmon stocks. Now, what we're seeing is, is a decline in wild salmon stocks, over a very long period. But as Isaiah also said around the collapse of the commercial fishery, uh, you know, there's lots of evidence that this is for all sorts of other big reasons, and there's lots of evidence that salmon farming is having a very minimal to negligible effect on, on wild salmon. So, you know, regardless... We have uh, a very strong activist community, very well organized that have been uh, pushing very hard against us and uh, and connecting with with the Liberal government in Ottawa, who is our regulator. So DFO is is the regulator, Department of Fisheries and Oceans of the Mm -hmm. sector in British Columbia. And uh, and so we have seen some shutdowns. So in the last two years, um, 40% of salmon farming in British Columbia has already been shut down. And the government is actually looking to shut down more. And so many of us are just looking at the situation and, and and really thinking like this is this is crazy. Um, this is an am- amazing product that's being produced in British Columbia, incredibly sustainable, right? So international uh, review bodies have have recognized those uh, companies that are producing that salmon as as being amongst the most sustainable producers of of protein, animal protein, in the world. Hmm. And yet, this government is is actually moving against them and going against their science and and de- the department departmental science advice at the same time. So it's it's a very it's it's perplexing. We're all feeling like what what is going on, and um, and it's a very challenging, obviously, situation for so many who are losing jobs. We're, yeah. we're seeing jobs being lost. We're seeing food uh, not being shipped across uh, across Canada. People actually finding it very hard. To find Canadian-raised and, and especially BC-raised salmon in stores, so you know, lots of impacts on consumers as well.
0: Um, Stephanie, step in here. Is there any science on the other side of that argument, uh, so to speak, that says that ending salmon farms will will deliver the objective, bring back wild salmon? And then, and then a follow-on point, if you could speak to it. Uh, is this happening in other countries around the world, and how are they dealing with
4: it? That's a, that's a big question. Uh, Tim kind of alluded to a, a report from uh, that was written by DFO scientists um, about one of the issues uh, that's being discussed right now is what is the impact of farmed salmon on wild salmon populations, specifically, obviously, uh, Pacific salmon. And one of those issues is surrounding sea lice which is a natural pest of, uh, of wild and farmed salmon. Um, and so their report basically said that there was no statistical uh, association or significant association between the infestation of uh, sea lice on wild salmon from farmed salmon. Now there's another side to that which was written by a number of um, scientists, Canadian scientists at different universities in Canada like UBC and U of T that um, were against that letter and were questioning the uh, the results that were written by the DFO scientists, um, sure. but in terms of the the impact on wild populations, the DFO report said that there was a, a lack of statistical significance, but also there was you know a positive trend in all of the areas. But the main conclusion is that you you can't have a direct causation and correlation from the farms when we don't really understand the infestation on the uh, juvenile Pacific salmon so their their um, report was that you cannot explain the pressure from uh, farmed salmon for sea lice on wild salmon and that's that's basically what the what the issue is that we don't really understand the mechanisms around why we are seeing some Unexplained fluctuations on the Pacific salmon uh, populations. And because there's so many factors at play, um, ending salmon farms is not the solution to a problem that we really don't understand very well. And that's going to take some international coordination to understand what are the issues. You know, one of the big issues that's having an impact on wild salmon is climate change. So removing salmon farms in certain areas is not going to be a single answer to that problem. Um, so a lot more research has to be done before we make those kind of decisions like removing salmon farms in B.C.
1: So this lack of clarity is still influencing policy, I guess. Uh, we don't know, but the, the federal government is still moving against uh, salmon farming. Is that, is, is that how we should be reading this?
3: That yeah, if if I can respond, it's Tim. Yes, absolutely. They they are moving, uh, moving against or conti- consi- considering moving against further, uh, BC salmon farming and or, or production in BC. I, I just I just um, you know add one thing is that is that when we look at governments and how they respond to science. Politicians, as we all know, there are very few politicians who are scientists. I'm not a scientist. I'm glad Stephanie's on the call. Um, But you you need departments, governments, to be able to assess all of the different opinions in the scientific community around these things and provide solid advice to ministers so that they can make decisions. To this point in time, that analysis by the department has shown minimal impacts. So for the minister, for instance, to be listening to science from you know, different people, but trying to interpret it and make her own decisions, really, if you think about that and how our economy, our lives, you know, you think about the COVID situation we were in with, with Health Canada, we were constantly being told trust government science. Mm-hmm. And in this situation, it's like the government's completely flip-flopped and is totally ignoring their departmental science. Uh, and, and really just focused on making a political decision that can that will have huge impacts on on people in british columbia so it, it's it's a really untenable uh, situation we're in and, and I think could have big big impacts and implications for other food producers in Canada, resources sectors etc
1: mm-hmm. now the the federal government is committed to transitioning quote unquote the BC salmon sector. What, what does that mean, Tim?
3: Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn over to Isaiah because Isaiah has been doing a lot of work on this as well. But I'll just make make a quick intro comment and say a commitment was made in the 2019 federal election. And, and the liberals took on a commitment that, again, was very political but didn't have um, science behind it. And it was to transition B.C. salmon farming. Uh, basically, out of uh, or away from what they call open net pens. So salmon are raised in pens in the ocean, um, and and so they talked about transitioning, but but no, but, but nobody has any idea to what. Uh, the activists were talking about you know right. putting all the salmon on land. That is just not possible for British Columbia. It's not really possible anywhere in the world right now. It's very, highly highly experimental. Um, so, lots of discussions going on, but I think the the fundamental issue is what what do the first nations in their territories want and that 's where i 'm going to turn it over to Isaiah to talk about what what he 's doing in his community
2: you know, thanks tim maybe maybe just for the bigger picture when it comes down to this commitment uh, and so like like he 's in two thousand and nineteen this this item was just thrown on the last minute that, uh, platform when it came to the liberal government and so they, they obviously didn't do a lot of homework when it came to how many nations are, are part of this overall industry um, because now they promise reconciliation and they promise uh, you know lots of other things but when it comes down to it you know there, there are 17 communities that rely on this industry period and there's 203 in BC so it's, it's of course there's, there is some opposition but when it comes down to it these, these nations that have farms in the, there. There's, there has but there have been farms, of course, removed from the territories or from from First Nations that don't want them, and that has been accomplished over the last several years. However, there are some nations like on the central coast of BC or or along the the coast of Vancouver Island that have have had their farms removed without proper consultation. So the government's really made it a difficult situation when it has come to this overall transition discussion because they've consulted some First Nations and not others. And so when it comes down to this reconciliation piece, which is a big word when it comes to Indigenous people and expecting some uh, moving forward in, in good faith, if anything it just has it just is completely contradictory to to the 17 nations that are in support of this industry and when it comes down to it it makes it quite difficult to make to have to work with the work with the government when we've dealt with uh, past wrongdoings when you know when my community has come from five percent to now 99 percent employment rate Mm -hmm. you know it's quite a concerning discussion and you know 51 percent of my economy is just farms and so this transition discussion is so critical yet we don 't know what the end goal is. we don 't know what's changing, and so yes. you know you know the rest of the nations they're all in the same boat, quite concerned because the minister is just on her war path of of a one track mind of just trying to deal with this in her own way without understanding reconciliation.
1: Minister George Murray a hundred percent yeah. Uh, so Isaiah, I- I'm really glad you were able to join us today. So, so, so you're, you're saying uh, the DFO has, has talked to some First Nations but not all of them. Uh, how, would you, how would you portray um, First Nations support of, of salmon farming in general in B.C. right now?
2: Well, I think like i said there's there' seventeen nations that are have agreements or, or support the industry as a whole, and so um you know that's a, a when it comes to industry when it comes to the situation, it's very odd that there be a group of first nations that band together to try to really deal with this this type of situation so Of course, seventeen out of two hundred and three is is you know a good chunk of first nations, however, there is still opposition, and just like in my own community there's there's some opposition too, but really when it comes down to it educating and and providing those understandings of the industry because it's a lot of misinformation that's out there right now and that's really the the crux of this problem is that um, we have a minister that's running this department who's who's going off of uh, some scientists quote-unquote to make these decisions and um, you know it's it's not it's not adding up and so for us who have you know has done science science for the last 18 years specifically on this industry because you know we're the stewards of the land we need to understand what this industry is doing just like anybody else within our territory so having a grasp on this stuff is super critical and we've done it Yet you know that our science matches very parallel to the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, and yet it's completely discredited.
0: Uh, Stephanie, again, uh, we're talking about science, so I wanted uh, you to step in a little bit with uh, any new technologies that can help us understand or improve—if that's uh, the right word—sustainability of salmon farming. What's happening around the world, and, and what's happening in Canada, and. and where is their opportunity?
4: Yeah, I I would say in the last 10, 20 years, there's been a lot of new innovations that are either now in practice that have already helped improve um, production efficiency and sustainability, um, and also some new innovations that are on the horizon that I think will see it making a big difference. Um, Of course, we've been talking about some of the controversies like some of them being sea lice and feed sustainability and Mm -hmm. uh, nutrient outputs and waste and and things like that. Um, And for example, our lab is addressing some of these challenges. Um, Even climate change is going to be a challenge in sustainable production. Um, But we're working on new innovations in nutrition, like using seaweeds and algae as ingredients, and that can Mm -hmm. help, reduce the wild source fish that's included in that has previously been included in the diet. And now compared to even 20 years ago, there's um, very minimal wild sourced fish meal and oil that's in the diet. And that has significantly improved the sustainability of the industry. Um, and some of these new ingredients can help boost the immune system to make them more resistant to stressful events that climate change might bring and things like that. Um, Some other really interesting stuff that's coming out that's in the horizon um, is some new data technology and it's getting so specific that individual fish can be tracked and that's based on sort of the freckles on their face so you can recognize (laughs) them uh, by individuals and that can help track their health and growth Indeed. on an individual basis, so this is a more precise way of farming and it 's more it 's more efficient and it 's actually better for the welfare of the fish as well since they don 't have to be handled and you can detect if there 's any health issues very early on caring for the fish uh, there now there 's you know less use of antibiotics than there ever was some of these are nutritional innovations, some of these are uh, based on other practices like making sure sea lice are removed early and early detection. Um, and there's also uh, new innovations with regards to growing salmon on land, for example, as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that have changed over the last few years that mm-hmm. have even uh, net pen design. So that has helped significantly helped um, prevent escapes that would have happened uh, many years ago, but very much less frequently today than it was a decade ago um, because of better design. So there, are, there is so much innovation that's booming. And I mean, I've been involved in the industry uh, not very long, but I've seen so much happen in a short period of time that's helping with the sustainability and efficiency of production.
0: I, Isaiah, you've got uh, you you and your people have got twenty years of of working on this, and and is it uh, are you at a place where you're ready to adopt these kind of new technologies? And you're probably inventing some technologies of your own. And and what kind of resources is it going to take to adopt them? I mean, Stephanie's talking about AI and machine vision, you know, freckles on fish, uh, you know, that's some pretty impressive stuff. But it, of course, will come at a cost. Where where do you sit on adopting these new technologies and and your lens on that, and and uh, I guess concluding what what it uh, I think you've outlined it pretty clear what it will mean to lose agriculture. But if you could bring us home with some your perspective on new technologies, and 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 lastly, what um, what's the impact going to be for you?
2: Well, when it comes down to these new technologies, our partners have been very progressive in the sense of trying to handle uh you know trying to move forward to, compared to other industries like forestry to who, who still practice basically the same same process of chopping trees down when it comes down to aquaculture the evolution is so prevalent and and so fast and quick when it has come down to the last 20 years if anything i remember as a child going out to the farms and they used to manually feed the fish by hand <laughs> and so now mm. today um you know I walk down to one of my one of our partners' offices and and I can watch this this AI technology that Stephanie's referring to happen. It's, its We literally have it already. So the progressiveness of of our partners is, is quite critical. However, these larger scale plans that, you know, Kidisu is 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 also a very progressive nation when it comes to trying to move forward. We have models and expectations for our partners and, and now technology with this new quote-unquote transition plan discussion, we, we have basically no choice but to try to move forward in a, in a more progressive way with our partners. So, you know, so tech this this R and D is fantastic, this technology is fantastic. However, the the, the money that's required is, is extremely uh large for, for closed containment or, or semi closed or or some of these other new stuff that are being chatted about are millions and millions of dollars. So when it comes down to the communities, right, you know, right, right. It's, we're definitely interested. We really would like to proceed it. But, you know, the government and, and of course, we in industry are going to have to work together to try to really come to make this stuff come to fruition now that the government has set this path in motion.
3: Mm-hmm. Can I yeah. Can I just add on to that really quickly? And I'll, I'll, I'll just say. Sure. BC, uh, BC salmon farming is the largest agri-food export, just to put it in perspective For the province.
0: No, I didn't know that.
3: (laughs) So the 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 way that it acts in the province and the provincial economy, especially in coastal communities, is that it is the anchor for so many other things. Right? So you 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 have you have the investment that goes into the infrastructure, wharves, um, you know, marine vessels, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got transportation, you've got various other inputs it 's a linchpin for the coastal economy in British Columbia, and when you start without deep, deep thought and understanding which is what 's happening, you start taking those pieces out, things fall apart very quickly or potentially fall apart so you have to you have to see this as an anchor for all sorts of other industries. Um, and that's one of the reasons it's so critical. And you know, you've heard from Isaiah. There are many other nations who are who are um, in a, in a very similar situation who are appealing to the government to to truly understand how how important it is um, for them and for, for the economy in British Columbia.
1: A, a very timely discussion uh, about aquaculture uh, in British Columbia. I want to thank uh, all three of you on behalf of the Food Professor podcast, uh, Tim Kennedy uh, in Ottawa, Isaiah Robinson in B.C., and, and Stephanie Colombo in Truro, Nova Scotia. Uh, thank you all for, uh, for coming on today and, uh, and telling us more about uh, what's at stake here. I appreciate it.
3: Thank you, Sylvain. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.